This morning we're going to start a brand new series coming up into the, it's going to kind of finish out the year in a way. There's going to be two series we're going to finish out the year with. And it was something that God had laid on my heart a few months ago, and I talked to Dan about it and kind of kicked it around and, and thought, man, this would be something cool to look at um, as we get into a couple. I cannot believe uh, the season of, of the year that we're in already. Can you believe it? Like, it's mid-November. Does, is anyone else blown away by that right now? I'm completely, thank you, thank you. I'm completely blown away by that fact. I can't get over it. I'm thinking, we got so much time in 2015. Um, but man, with Thanksgiving quickly approaching, the week after next is Thanksgiving, and then the Christmas season coming next, oh man, it's just like, this year has flown by. We're actually driving in the worship this morning, and, and Olivia said that. This year has gone fast, you know? And you know it's bad whenever a 12-year-old recognizes how fast, <laughs> you know? Man, we're clipping along this year. So we're going to spend uh, a few weeks... Um, so we all know what Christmas is about, right? I mean, we're going to spend a few weeks in December talking about Christmas, of course. We all know what Christmas is about. It's about the coming of Jesus, yes? I mean, matter of fact, um, some of you might do some Christmas traditions called um, uh, an Advent wreath or an Advent calendar where you pop the little boxes open, you get out a chocolate or you read a Bible verse, you know, and you get to engage in this kind of expectation, this waiting, right? Um, this time that, that uh, the, the world, the, the Bible says the world groans for the coming of the Savior, you know what I mean, right? And so that's this season of Advent traditionally that we remember right before Christmas. But the funny thing and the thing that was on, on my heart um, that I wanted to spend some time with is this reality of Advent now for us. Um, if, if you don't know this, by the way, the church, and I, I mean the Big C Church Global Church calendar, kind of starts with the Advent season, and it's kind of tied very closely and quickly into the coming of Jesus. So right now, these days in the church calendar are preparing for the end of the church calendar. I say I'll have to say this, that the series that we're going to do right now is called Jesus is Coming. And the reason I think this is so important is because we spend a lot of time in, in church talking about the power and the grace and the majesty and the beauty of Jesus' coming to save us. We spend a lot of time talking about Jesus when he's on the earth with the disciples and he's teaching us to obey and he's giving us new commands that are mind-blowing that we don't, doesn't equate from our human perspective, you know, how the world should work because we see it completely differently. And, and, and we spend a lot of time even talking about Jesus on the cross and how because he willingly laid his life down, we've been set free from our sin. And, and we cover those kind of three aspects of Jesus a lot. The, the kind of the, the birth of Jesus, the discipleship of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then we come to this moment we say, and you too can be saved, right? Jesus died to forgive your sins and my sins. That's why we're here. But as I was preparing and praying, I, I began to realize there's this, there's this whole other aspect. And what I would call, and this is a a term we will never exhaust, but our job is to know and proclaim the whole gospel. And I've told you like three parts of the gospel, and there's many, many, many more, many other views and, and insights to be had in Jesus. But the one we want to spend a few uh, weeks on now is this, as we wait, is this time that we recognize that Jesus is not just the Savior who died and was raised, 
but he's the ruling king and judge who is returning. I don't know if that strikes you as different, but it really strikes me as different, something we don't spend a lot of time talking about in church. We, we do all the stuff up to what we know, what we've been told, the history of Jesus, but we don't talk about this moment. I said a minute ago, when we talk about Advent, so I'm going to call this an Advent series, okay, so you know, that it's this time that we're expecting. You're opening the little chocolates. You're waiting, oh, 24 days, 23 days, 22 days. You just can't wait till Christmas, right? But the church... Right now, all of us live in a season of expectant waiting, waiting for our king, waiting for Jesus. I think it's hard for us because there is a reality that if you know Christ as Savior, he is in you and with you, and you experience him all the time. You, you hear his small, quiet voice beckoning you, calling you to be better, calling you to stop sinning, right? Calling, calling you to live differently in this world, calling you to mourn over the brokenness, so we have this knowing of Jesus right now through his Holy Spirit, through salvation. And if you don't have that, I would encourage you to pray with us that you would know Christ fully. I would say um, the Jesus that we follow is not a God on a shelf. It's not a God we control. He's a God in control. He, he, we just sang songs about it. He knows all the ways. He, he directs our path. He's sovereign. And yet even as we know him, we're in the season of expectant waiting for the culmination of his kingdom, the ultimate fulfillment of his promise. We spent so much time talking about these things recently through the book of Hebrews, but it's a reality for us as we, as we live our lives together. Um, so we're, we're going to do that. I want to share with you as we start uh, a, a verse of scripture from um, the book of Titus. We're going to not spend time in this day, but I wanted to share it with you because lest you think I'm making something of nothing here, that this idea that Jesus is the totality of our expectation. Uh, Paul wrote a letter to Titus, and if you don't know, Titus was like a young leader in the church, right? There's two, there's three books. They're, they're called the pastoral epistles by some, and it's First and Second Timothy and Titus, you know. So this is a young man of God, and, and Paul's going to encourage him. He's trying to instruct him and equip him for the ministry and for the work that God's calling them to do. By the way, when I say pastoral, I don't just mean pastors. I mean caregivers, nurturers, leaders. And when I say ministry, I don't just mean like vocational, but I mean every day walking around. Paul is a tent maker. Timothy and Titus, um, I, I don't know what they actually did for a living, but this all of us. It's all inclusive. Check this out. Um, let me see if I can push this. There we go. This is, this is from um, Titus um, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. I just want to share it with you. For the grace of God brings that, the, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So there's some kind of context about the reality of Jesus' salvation. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, that's what we talked about a minute ago, and worldly passions, that's no to sin, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Now listen to the word, in this present age, while we, what, wait for the joyful, no, 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 wait for the blessed hope. You see there? And what's he say the blessed hope is? The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when Paul's writing to young Titus, you know, this young leader, he says, um, this is the season where we've got the good news of the gospel, and this is the season that we're called to say no to sin and yes to God and no to unholiness and yes to holiness. But it's also the season that we wait for our blessed hope, our most joyful concept. And we're going to break this down a little bit today and talk about the reality of our lives in Jesus is, is, is 
here and not yet. You know what I mean? And that's the hardest thing to understand and the hardest thing to explain. But, but it's perfection that's not perfect yet. It's, it's the coming. It's the, the Bible says that you taste, but you don't fully know. We, we get glimpses, but we can't see it all. And so Paul says to young Titus, no, our blessed hope is in the return of our what? God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope for the entire church. Well, that's kind of the idea that that's our blessed hope. Our, our Jesus is coming, and we should never miss that. I want to do what we always do before we enter into God's word. I want to pray together. I know we've heard some word already. I want to pray that God would just teach us what we need to learn and, and shape us into people who are more like him. Uh, pray with me if you would. Father God, today as we've gathered in your house to worship you, um, we come with uh, open hearts and minds. We also come with all of our sin and our junk and the stuff that distracts us. We come with the, the myths and the things that we think are, are, are uh, true that are not true, that are lies, and the things that we think are untrue that are true because you've said so. And Father, we bring all this junk in, and our only hope is that as we stand in your presence that you would shine a light into dark places, that you would show us the truth. Your, your word, we believe, was inspired by your Holy Spirit, and we need your Holy Spirit to understand it. Would you help us to do that today? Would you teach us? Your word says you would teach us in our heart. Would you teach us what we need to know that we could be transformed and, and, and ready even as we wait for the blessed hope we have in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, so we're going to spend some time, and now bear with me. We're going to jump around a little bit in the Bible. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, grab one off the end of the chair rows. We put them there so you can use those, you know, and we even have page numbers in those uh, on the screen so you can kind of check, uh, check what we're saying with Scripture. Always do that, by the way. Always read the Bible for yourself, man. There's, there's nothing like it. Dan said earlier, the living and active Word of God. Um, we're going to go to an unlikely place. We're going to start with, um, there we go. First Samuel. First Samuel, oh, I pushed it twice. There we go. First Samuel is at the, in the uh, First Testament of the Bible. It's the, um, the, sometimes the Old Testament. So on page 185, if you use one of our Bibles, and we're going to just kind of read the story and then talk through it um, briefly this morning together, starting in verse 4. I want to hear the whole text, so let's read it together first. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival would provoke her until she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. 
Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And she went her way, and she ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah laid with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Most of us have heard the story before of, of Hannah and uh, Samuel, um, and I think it's a strange place to start, perhaps, for some of us, um, in thinking about the return of Jesus, because that's really what we're talking about this morning, is this coming time. And, and, and I myself have gone through this text many times, and, and really some things just always jump out to me. Maybe you're like that when you read the scripture. Some things just hit you in the face every time. That's like, bam, there it is again. There it is again. You know, This is such a powerful story about human relationships and all the drama. But I want to set that aside today, and I want to talk about the experience of being Hannah in the presence of God. Because I think that tells us a lot about our state right now as the church. Okay? So I want to kind of walk through and, and pick out um, a few places to kind of talk about this morning. Uh, the first is this. It comes in verse 7. This went on year after year. I just want to talk about that for a minute. Year after year. You know, there was this sacrificial, um, annual sacrifice going on, and, and, and uh, she was competing, and there was all this stuff, but it wasn't like for a little while Hannah had what the Bible says is her womb closed. It, it wasn't just for a, a season even. Now, we might look at it and say, well, it's just a season, but in, when you're in it, it didn't feel like a season. The word says that year after year, she waited and she prayed and she longed and she hoped and she believed and yet nothing came. Nothing came except more taunting and more insults and more being separated. This anguish, I, I honestly, I think it's a little unfair of me to even say as a guy, let alone a guy who has children, what, what Hannah was experiencing, let alone a guy now and not a woman then who had no standing without sons. What, I don't know if we rightly understand what it feels like to be outside of a mainstream culture, but I'm sure that's where she was desperate to get in, desperate for God's touch. Desperate for his blessing. Desperate for his presence. But this goes on year after year. And, and the other thing I'll say also in verse 7 is, lest we think this wasn't serious. You go, oh, come on, Hannah. Quit being a drama queen. That's kind of what her husband said, right? Don't you love me? You got me. What else could you want? <laughs> you know, spoken like a true guy <laughs> who's with other women. Oh, Lord, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> I mean, come on. But it says this. When Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, the place of worship, to make sacrifice, to be in God's presence. When she went to that place, it said she wept and would not eat. I know it says the rabble provoked her, but I want to set that. She, would, she was at a place where when she would show up to worship, she would just be broken and needy and longing for God to, to bring a solution. I don't know if you, have you ever wanted something so badly 
that you would stop eating. And the Bible says, who of us neglects their own body? No one neglects their own body, right? Have you ever longed for something for God to bring that, that you would not be able to stomach the idea of food? I don't think that she was calling a fast. I don't think she was saying, this is because I'm going to be holy and I'm going to, you know, wait. I'm going to go on a, a, a manipulate God. She's, she's so wrung out over her anguish that she can't even stomach the thought of food in the house of God. I think that's powerful, man. I think that's radical to think about someone who is that needy for God, that desperate for salvation, for a solution, that that you wouldn't be able to eat. That's what the word says. In the house of God, she would weep and not eat. Her husband even came to her and said, eat something. What's wrong? Eat something. How big of a deal can this be? But for her, it's huge. Look with me in verse 10. The word says this lest we miss her experience. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. Or in some translation it says, in bitterness of soul, Hannah prayed as she wept. Like the Bible is full of amazing um, words, you know, but a bitterness of soul, you know, I've talked to people who, who, and I've been through stuff myself, man, where it's like the most, the, the innermost struggles of our lives, and they're so ugly, and they're so needy, you know, and we just, and we're, we become bitter in our soul about something, like it's just in us. A couple of things I find amazing is that in spite of her bitterness of soul, she prays. I always tell people, man, no matter what you're going through, talk to God about it. God is no, um, you can't keep secrets from God anyway. Just, just tell him what's going on. Like, oh, this, I, that, that I'm really bitter about this. I'm sick of waiting. I can't stand it anymore. Do you see what's happening here? Hannah is weeping while she's praying to God. I tell you what, church, man, I don't know if we need God that much anymore. I, I don't know if we do have a heart like Hannah. It's just honestness. Uh, I need you. I need you. I need you to deliver me. I need you to bring me a blessing. I need your presence. I'm crying out to you, God, in my time of need. A man in her deep anguish and in prayer, she wept bitterly. But then look at verse 12. Hannah kept on praying. The word says what? As she kept on praying. This, I mean, woman of faith, right? Just believing, not seeing, but believing, not receiving, but believing. Do you understand what I'm talking about this morning? This isn't the miraculous, here you're delivered, laha moment, man. She is in the thick of it. She's her, even her husband's turning against her in a way, you know, just stop, would you? And she's like, no, but she continues to pray. Man, that's a powerful testimony, a believer who won't quit. Powerful witness to God's faith given to Hannah. What, a, what an amazing, amazing thing. Verse 12, it says, she kept on praying in her heart. And maybe that's what it's like for you, right? I mean, I know we're not a culture comfortable expressing our feelings, but maybe in your heart. Do you ever have that, man, in your heart where you're like, this just ain't right. Like, the world ain't right. Like, the, 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 the stuff ain't right. The, the news ain't right. My neighbors ain't right. And then you start to go, gosh, I'm not right. And she continued to pray in her heart about these things. Kind of reminds me in a funny kind of paralleling way of, the, of Mary, the mother of Jesus. The word says she stored up things in her heart, just letting it ruminate around. God, I, I know you're up to something here, but this ain't right. And, I, you know, I'm going to be honest, but, man, I'm going to keep believing and praying. 
as she kept on praying in her heart, seeking God's solution. And the verse uh, 15 and 16. After Eli, the great uh, priest says, uh, you're drunk, right? She says, I'm not drunk. By the way, just to stop over a minute, can you imagine praying and needing God to the point that everyone around you thinks you're drunk? Like, that's for real. You know, have you ever been around someone? It's, it's pretty clear they're drunk, right? Have you ever, that desperation that she's expressing here to the point that he's like, you're drunk and in the house of God. Like, that's crazy. What are you doing here? Stop it. No, no, no. She says, I'm not drunk. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. And I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. That's in verse 15, by the way, if you want to see it. I have been praying out of what? My great anguish and grief. That's what Hannah says. I'm not drunk. I'm desperate for God, and I'm hurting, and I'm broken, and I'm frustrated, and I need God's blessing. Now, see, you got a glimpse already of the promise that God kept with Hannah, right? Matter of fact, the book that this is even written in is written about the blessing that God gave her. In chapter 2, if you want to read it, verses 1 through 10, Hannah ends up singing a song of God's faithfulness. But in this time of waiting, real faith is tested and shown and proven to be right. I'm going to ask you to turn now to the Gospel of Mark, my favorite gospel in the New Testament. I've shared that with you before. It's going to be Mark chapter 13. Can we push that slide one time? I'm not getting uh, action back there. Mark 13, thank you, uh, verses 1 through 8. Now we're going to get into some Jesus stuff. I told you, right? I mean, this is going to be some teaching from Jesus, from the Gospels. All the Bible, by the way, is inspired by the same God, so we needn't worry about, you know, well, that's Hannah, this is Jesus, but... There we go. Check it out. As he was leaving, that's Jesus, the temple, one of his disciples, that's Jesus, said to him, Jesus, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, he asked? Not one stone will be left upon another. Every one will be thrown down. I'm going to stop. We're just going to talk through this text, okay? So the first thing is, um, I, I believe as um, humans, we're impressed with the right now, what we can see, what we can touch, what we can feel, what we can know fully. We give it a higher precedent over, over things we can't see or can't touch or can't know fully right now. Does that make sense? And the disciples, while they're walking through the temple area, right, that's what the word says, right? It says, as they were leaving the temple, one of the, his disciples with Jesus, now Jesus, you got to remember, is teaching the way. He's saying that all men must come to him to be saved. He's been teaching radical truths, saying he's the son of God, right? And people are really offended by that in the temple. As they're walking out of the space, the disciples say, wow, master, Lord, look at this building, isn't it magnificent? Isn't that funny? Jesus' response is radically different, right? I mean, radically, I don't know what they expect him to say, like, yeah, it's a nice place, <laughs> you know? Um, they've, done, they've done a good job keeping it up. I don't know. What, you know, um, it's his father's house. Like, he knows this space, you know, right? But this is what he says. Um, Do you see all these great buildings before your eyes? Do you see them all? Not one stone here will be left on top of another. Every one will be thrown down. All the stuff that you say is great is going to be meaningless. It's all coming to nothing. Sounds a bit like Ecclesiastes. Check it out. Verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things are going to happen. And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? A couple things about the disciples here. First of all, when Jesus said this, they were like, 
Yeah, right, you know. By the way, get the movement here. It says, as they were leaving the temple, so they had been to the temple, right, and they're going out, and then it says, as they sat on the Mount of Olives across from the temple. So they've made a little journey to some hillside, and I've been told that you can still sit there and see the temple from there. You can see everything. It's like a perspective where you can get a view of the whole picture. They were impressed with the buildings when they were inside of them, but now they're sitting on this hill and they're looking at all the stuff. And the disciples didn't, not only did they not scoff at Jesus when he said, this is going to happen, the temple's going to be destroyed, right? But four of them came privately and, and asked, um, when? How's this going to happen? When's this going to happen? What's going to be the sign, right? Tell, teach us more about this. You have a bit of the idea that at the temple, he was in a crowd of people. But by the time he got to the top of the hill to look back, it was only a few who were just really curious enough to know, Jesus, what are you doing with this? What, what are you saying that the temple is going to be destroyed? Tell us when these things will happen. And, and what will be the sign? We want to be ready. I mean, we want to know what's coming next. And then Jesus went on to teach this way. He said, watch that no one deceives you. Now listen to what he says. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. And then Jesus says this, these are the beginning of birth pains. Let's get a little context here, what's going on. Jesus is in the Middle East. He's looking at the temple and he's saying, there is going to come a day when many will come and say, I am he. Don't be fooled by that. What? Jesus, you're right here. You're telling us, right? Yeah, there's going to come a day there's an insinuation, I won't be here yet. And they're going to say, I'm the one. And don't be deceived because they aren't the one. And in that season, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, here's the crazy thing about this. This happened 2,000 years ago, right? We call that math. 2,000 years later, if you were to sit at the Mount of Olives and look down where the temple stood, you would still say, ah, th this makes sense. I just recently heard, um, you know, we have Veterans Day and um, th thanking uh, God for all of our veterans and praying for our veterans and their families and, and just awesome opportunity to sit back and, and look at the, the, the uh, price of sacrifice. But the crazy thing is, is some of the veterans that um, are being honored were part of the, the Great War, right? Which was billed this way. The war to end all wars, <laughs> right? I mean, does anyone remember that? That was going to be the end of all war. And since then, we've had multiple wars. Matter of fact, I just read this week that the Pope has said that this um, uh, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, uh, terrorism, global terrorism is the undeclared third world war still going on all around us. I mean, I don't know. Have you been praying for Paris? and all that stuff happening. What? Like, it's just radical to me that Jesus said these things 2,000 years ago. He said, look, nothing is going to be left here in the end. And there'll be many coming saying, I'm here, but I'm not, they're not me. And, and there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And then nation will be against nation. You see all this kind of jockeying right now? Kingdom against kingdom. By the way, I have to stop here and say this. In the Middle East, there's kingdoms, right? The kingdom of Saudi Arabia. There's different kingdoms. That, that kingdom of Jordan, you know, there's kings still. But I think there's something deeper, man. Don't miss this church. Kingdom against kingdom is culminated or, or, or included in this idea of God's kingdom 
versus the kingdom of the enemy of God. That this battle that we still fight in wars, this, 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 this uh, brokenness and sin in the world is still rooted in the eternal struggle between God and his enemy, and kingdom will fight against kingdom. You can definitely see that in the local context, but you can also see that in a spiritual way, that kingdom will fight against kingdom. Now check this out, though. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines, people starving to death, destruction, and we're seeing all this stuff, right? Now, I know what you're probably thinking. I'm going to be one of those guys to say, and this is it, <laughs> right? You're going to be like, okay, here goes Billy's and go, and this is the end. You know, I'm going to be getting my newspaper out and going, this is the sign, this is the one, right? Get this. 2,000 years of this. What does Jesus say? These are but the beginning of birth pains. Do you feel that? Do you see a connection between the coming kingdom, the waiting for restoration and fulfillment of God's promises and the brokenness in the world? Do you see the connection between the destruction of a temple and the, the wars of people and Hannah's desire to have a child? Oh, God, that you would bring your son, that you would put an end to this, the beginning of birth pain. Again, I will be honest with you this morning and say, I don't think I'm qualified to even talk about what birth pains are, because I'm a guy. <laughs> now, some of you are laughing because you're not guys, but you also haven't had babies yet, so you don't know what birth pains are either. I one time heard a comedian, way back in the day, I won't say how long ago, he said, if you want some, now I have experienced birth pains secondhand. Whew, that's close enough for me. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying but I heard this comedian one time, and he said, if you want some idea what it's like um, th th to, to have the pain of birth, uh, grab your lower lip. So go ahead and grab your lower lip. You know, do that with me. Grab it, yeah. And stretch it over your head. <laughs> Just wrap it around your head. It's like, make it stop, you know. I've never had a baby, but that's what I hear. It might be like college students, young women, God bless you. Glad I'm a dude. God said, these are but the beginning of that kind of suffering, pain. I wonder, do you think that Hannah knew what she was asking for when she asks for Samuel? I'll go back for a minute and ask. Do you think she knew? She said, a couple things she said is, Lord, if you give me this child, I will set him aside to you completely. And I will never trim his hair, which means he's going to be set apart for God's holiness. That's a Nazarite you know, uh, pledge. He will be holy and yours completely. Most of the time after women have suffered through childbirth, the, the last thing they want to do is let go of that baby, man. My baby. And Hannah had to let go of Samuel. I wonder if she knew what she was asking for. Or maybe more contempor contemporarily like us, we say, um, God come. Jesus come. Holy Spirit, have your way in me. I want to completely submit to you. I want to know you fully. I believe you died to forgive my sins, and I want to be completely transformed by your power. I want to be part of your kingdom and bringing the good news to the world. I want to do that. And then God says, oh, do you know what you're asking for? Get ready for some pain, baby. Get ready to give birth. It's not going to be easy. Jesus said, the end has not yet come. Look at what it says. Um, Verse 7, when you hear these wars, rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. I, 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 honestly, I think one of the ways we screw up is the gospel, as we say. Um, it's going to be easy. Just follow Jesus and your life's going to be better. Man, read your Bible. Don't let people lie to you. 
it's going to be a war. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be spiritual. It's going to be in our hearts. It's going to demand everything of us, right? We're going to be wrenching out like Hannah, just weeping and waiting for God in anguish. And I said it a minute ago, there were disciples at the temple going, ooh, look at this stuff. And there was four left at the Mount of Olives. We get four recorded by name because most of us, I'll be honest with you, most of us don't want it. Don't want it that bad, Lord. Maybe you do. Um, the Apostle Peter wrote to the churches, and he, uh, I'm going to share this too. Oh, I did it twice. I'm too fast today. He's, it's in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. I put it up on the screen so you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Um, I love this because um, he says, don't act as if it's something strange when you have trouble in this life. I think we do that in the church, right? 4.12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you suffer as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You go through the season of suffering and the season of difficulty. You go through the season of weeping in the temple, not being able to eat, and then you see God's glory revealed. You, you go through the, the, the anguish of the nightly news and the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of ourselves. And you long for the restoration of a Savior who has said that you belong to him and he will set you, uh, you know, um, with him in the heavenly realms. And, and you, you long for that moment, but then you, we act like it's something strange when it's suffering. It's nothing strange. I want to end with uh, one more scripture from the Old Testament. And this is in the book of Daniel, just three verses. Daniel chapter 12. Turn there if you would. Last stop today. Daniel is an interesting book. Um, it's a book of wisdom. It's also a book of prophecy. And uh, we're going to spend some time this week and next at least looking at some passages from Daniel. This is what the word says. At that time, at that time, and, and this does mean uh, the culmination of, of the, the suffering, the, 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 the pain, the moments. This is all tied into the book of Revelation as well, by the way. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. I just want to stop there for a second and say that th this message that we have of Jesus' coming is not a hopeless message of brokenness and desolation. But at the perfect time, at the perfect moment, you know, Jesus said, when I come back, will I find any faithful? He didn't say, I'll find a whole bunch. He said, will there be anyone able to hang on until I return? Will there be anyone left who's believing? The word says, at that time, Michael will, uh, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened since the beginning of nations, of all nations. But at that time, your people, here it is, every one, every person whose name is found written in the book will be delivered, will be rescued. The word will be caught up. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightest of the, the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is the season that we live in. The season of the here and not yet. The season of the Holy Spirit in us and yet waiting for our king to come and set things right. And I think in Daniel, we have this opportunity to be like those who are believing and therefore caught up and included and rescued, but also who shine like the brightness of the heavens, those who are wise, right? 
those, are, those who um, lead others to righteousness. And, and by the way, can I just say, leading others to righteousness is not saying, hey, guys, get righteous. Leading others to righteousness is saying, hey, guys, you need Jesus to be righteous. We call that many things in the church like evangelism and, and sharing the good news, but man, that's what it is. We are pointing to a Savior, not to ourselves and not to our own holiness. That's a broken model. But we're saying you need Jesus to survive this. You will not make it through this without Jesus. And maybe many of you here today are saying, you know what? This has been 2,000 years. The Lord is slow, right? It ain't going to happen in my lifetime. I know a couple of you think it probably will happen in your lifetime, but some of you don't think it ain't going to happen in my lifetime. Let me, here's the news. You can't make it through this without Jesus. Whether we see the end of time or not, we can't make it through this current suffering, this current brokenness, our own messed up life without Jesus. And we need him to stand. We want to be like those who are brought from the dirt to glory and not suffering and punishment. That's kind of the opening salvo of this kind of waiting for Jesus. I hope that you understand what we're trying to say here. Maybe you, you don't believe any of it. I pray that God would change your heart. And maybe you do, but you're apathetic. You're like, whatever. It's not going to happen anytime soon. I'm fine. I got my card. But maybe, oh, maybe you and I are like Hannah, weeping at the temple. Or maybe your life isn't messed up enough yet that God would have you weep at the temple, longing for restoration and deliverance from your own sin. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. We're going to pray together and uh, just ask God to deliver us. Pray with me if you would. Oh, Father God, we thank you so much that uh, we come into your presence, which is the temple. We come into your holiness, your, your holy place, which is the temple. And, and we worship you in spirit and in truth. And we know you because you have given us your spirit to know you. And, and yet we see the brokenness and we long. And maybe there's someone here today and they feel that tug, but they don't believe it's you. They, they, they sensed it before. They've heard it before. And you've been conspiring against them, Father, to, to draw them into your kingdom, to love them and to, to encourage them and welcome them. I pray, Father, that the resistance of the enemy, this kingdom battle that's going on would, would be wrought, that, that, that they would be defeated, and that the person right now whose heart is just feeling far from you would just be delivered into your presence in a powerful way that only you can do. And Father, for your glory and for the good of the, the person who needs you, and then, Father, for, for us, as we, if we know you now and we're, we're invited into your presence, I pray that we would have a heart of a saint. We would have hearts of, of longing and of brokenness and of, of frustration with the, the way things are that they shouldn't be and never counting it our own righteousness or our own solutions to the problems, Father, but just believing that you must deliver your people. Father, the gospel is the same today as 2,000 years ago. We need a Savior, and we need to be delivered. Father, we long for you, and we need you for this. I pray a prayer of thanks for the foretaste, for the little scraps and pieces we get in this life, but all oh, longing for the day, longing for the day. Oh, our faith we made sight will be made whole and restored in your presence. Would you claim us as your children and call us up to be with you forever? I thank you so much for uh, all those who, who you, you've surrounded us with to encourage us in this journey. May you be glorified that they shine like light in the night sky, that they are like beacons of hope in a dark world. We give you thanks and praise for their faithful witness. We pray you would do this work, all of it, in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we close our service today with worship, which we will do 
We're going to sing one final song together. We're going to share communion together. And uh, we're going to have some uh, folks pass those things around in a moment. As they prepare to bring that to you, I want to explain to you what that is so we all know what's going on. Um, there's lots of kind of uh, thought out there. We get ours from the Bible. I want to share it with you right now. The word says, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, because what I received from the Lord, I now pass on to you, that our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and gave thanks and said, this bread is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. And again, he said, this cup is a new promise made in my blood. And every time you drink this cup, remember me. And here's what I want you to understand about communion today. Paul says this, because every time you and I eat this bread, and every time you and I drink this cup, we proclaim our Lord's death until he comes again. I've often told people there are things that we won't experience in heaven. Communion like this is one of them. A simple reminder like this is one of them. This is for this time now as we receive it together. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, pray one more time, and then you can receive it as you feel led, and um, then we're going to have the band come up and, and close us in a final song in a few minutes. Pray with me. Uh, Father, for the table and the sacrifice that you've offered of a new promise, we give you thanks and praise, and we pray right now that um, we would know you fully, that we would remember you, and indeed that, that that maybe today, for the first time, the longing in our heart for your ultimate fulfillment, your kingdom, your return, would be foremost in our minds and our lips. We give you praise and thanks for the meal that you've wrought for us. In Jesus' name, amen.